This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. everybody welcome to terror talk with shannon and kathy hello hey i have a quick update before we get into our final episode of dennis raider today cool uh i don't know if you saw this but you and i have talked about this case intermittently since we started the show hmm. uh, about jean benet ramsey the right. dna evidence yep so more stuff is coming out and they found for those who haven't seen this yet uh, it was gathered under jean benet ramsey's fingernails dna evidence and it did not match her parents or other people close to the family mm -hmm. so this is getting stranger and stranger because i think that's what a lot of people banked on is that it was like somewhat either it was an accident or someone within the family right. was responsible now this gets you know they actually have confirmed dna that's not it's not the parents people. um which i think that was you know, everybody kind of creates a narrative to put it to bed. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody's like, well, it was the parents and scene. The culture's just like, okay, well, they never convicted them. But man, I, as the parents, though, that must be vindicating, I, I guess. I wonder why so late in the game they figure this out. I don't know, because yeah. it's not like, D unless maybe the DNA's become more sophisticated. Yeah, I, I, I don't, don't know. know. Okay. All right, then. Thank uh, you so much. Yeah, I'll be curious to see, see what else, because now, you know, the parents are going to press now that their name's been cleared. Of course, now they're going to. Yeah. Become, I don't know, maybe more vocal. I think so. Maybe do a documentary. That's what usually happens. And then we'll talk about it. They all do a new documentary when they want to get back in the zeitgeist. That's how it works. And we're here for that. We are. We're here for the, pa we're the patsies for that. We are. <laughs> um, so we left off. It's been a minute since we had our last episode on Mr. Mm -hmm. Raider. Yeah. AKA the BTK. Yeah. So if you haven't seen the first four, I mean, scene. <laughs> if you haven't listened to the first four episodes that uh, Kathy has led us through, you know, please give a listen to those. I think it's been three. Oh, it's been three. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. Um, three then. So we left off just to uh, let everybody know where we left off. We left off on his. Um, we talked about his psychology and some of his reactions from his family. Okay. I think that the end of that episode just went into more of Catherine Ramsland's work with him and discussing his dark feelings and his compartmentalization, then just like psychopaths in general. So that's where we ended off. But the episode before that it was really probably works the best with this final episode, which was his arrest. Okay. Essentially, just to recap really quickly. The oh, hold mm -hmm. on. There was four, so this is number five. Oh, I'm sorry. The, I just want to make sure people know the, okay. how many episodes they need to listen to to be caught up. <laughs> okay. I must have mislabeled them on my thing here. Okay, good. Yeah, I, I was like, yeah. I feel like I had done a lot, but... Um, you have. <laughs> you have. So I may have switched an order on one of them. I mean, that's why. But long story short, what we found out in the second to last episode was that we figured out that 
he sold himself out to the police unintentionally, thinking that they would um, not betray him, mm-hmm. uh, probably because of his own grandiosity. He believed that they would, you know, speak to him in code, but through that, he gave himself up. He was found, and um, here we are. So, right. what what has happened now since his arrest? So, DNA tests confirm that Dennis Rader was the man that they'd been looking for. So they, they arrest him, they test his DNA, it matches everything. Raider later admitted that uh, his communication with the paper and the police department was really what stirred the pot and led to an unwinding of the facts and evidence that got him caught. He was trying to play this game with the police to see if, in according to Ramsland, he had already prepared a next he was already stalking his next victim so it wasn't one of those cases where he was like okay i'm i'm giving myself up he he was so grandiose in that way that he was like well you know i'm just gonna play with this while i start my next one he had no idea that he was gonna get caught he he couldn't fight the urge to reach out to the paper and that's what inevitably led to blowing his cover after decades because he trusted the police and probably didn't believe that he could be trapped. And also just to remind people, Raider didn't have hundreds of victims. You know, he he had less than 10 victims over a period of a few decades. So he was very deliberate in each kill. He would stalk them. He would take his time. So in that way, he wasn't impulsive. So he, you know, he had already... Um, over like 30 years or whatever it was, had had less than 10 victims. So he had demonstrated his ability to control his impulses and find the right victim. But if he had not reached out, uh, many believe that the case may have remained unsolved. So mm-hmm. yeah. after more than three decades, the investigators knew that they finally had their killer. And Raider was arrested on February 25th, 2005, on his way home to have lunch with his wife. And Paula Diets, his wife, who I'll talk about here in a moment, would later divorce him after the shocking news came to light. I can't imagine being married to a man for that long and having a couple of children with, and then finding out that one of the closest, if not the closest person in your life, had this whole other. It's not like he just cheated on her. Not to minimize that. I mean, he would. This was no, like a whole other. Is- yeah. I mean, that is Persona. less than this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. mean, we can minimize that, honestly. I mean, <laughs> yeah. to, to me, uh, yes, being a serial killer would be worse. It would be worse, yeah. yeah. And, Ka- she, and she probably believed him the whole time. She did. Like, she supported him and believed him and yeah. and then came to a point where she couldn't anymore. Well, I'll talk about that okay, here cool. in a moment, how she finally said, yep, I'm out. Right. So, Catherine Ramsland, she stated that Raider would have had carried out his 11th murder, like I was just talking about, if he would not have been arrested. So he attempted to carry out the elaborate attack in 2004, but when he arrived on the woman's street, he found a construction crew on the street outside of her home and had to abort his plans. So when he was caught in 2005, he had already been working towards another murder, and it had been a minute since he had done anything, but he was really good at recognizing if it wasn't going to go exactly how he needed it to go, he would pull out. And that was, he profited from experience because his first case, the Otero family, there were a lot of mistakes. And then there was one other um, murder that happened where the, I think the brother of the victim got away. So as he became more sophisticated, if he felt like he couldn't carry out, he would 
he's, he's like, I'm, I'm not going through with this. Gotcha. I'm going to talk a little bit about Carrie Rawson, who is Dennis Rader's daughter. And she said, when I knew my dad was the BTK killer, uh, the article is called when I knew my dad is, is the BTK killer. Carrie Rawson said a police composite image she found online among other evidence helped her accept that her dad is the BTK killer after his arrest in 2005. I grew up with a, not to digress too much, but I grew up with a friend of mine whose father was arrested for multiple bank robberies. Mm -hmm. And one of her friends at the time was working for, her father worked for the FBI. And for some reason they were at this building, they were at the building one day and they went in and my friend's sister looked up and said, oh my God, doesn't that look like dad? And it was this composite. Oh gosh. And it ended up being him, right? And after he was arrested, my friend and her sister both said like there was a, a real weird like gut feeling that they saw that and kind of made a joke out of it but also knew in their gut it was him. Something resonated. Something resonated because they knew that he wasn't the most honest guy his whole life. And and I think that Carrie, this, a similar thing happened where she mm-hmm. didn't want to believe it. She saw it and then she's like, it's undeniable. Right. right? So Rawson stated that her father went from pleading not guilty to guilty, um, which was a relief to him once he confessed. This is something very different from what we see with, many serial killers. And I would imagine that if we're looking at someone like Bundy versus Raider, Bundy was more, I believe, sociopathic, narcissistic. Raider was more psychopathic and for a very long time really wanted to be relieved from these feelings. Yeah, And so it does not surprise me that it didn't take the elaborate testimony and pageantry that Ted Bundy did trying to um, prove his innocence were all Raider, the games, all the games, all, Raider, just all the games. Raider didn't want to do any of that. He didn't want to do that. He's like, okay, you know what? Here, Strict you psychopaths don't really have the tolerance for any of that. They, like no. if he doesn't, if he doesn't have a personality situation going on, Mm-mm. then he's not going to have any of the tolerance for that. He's going to be like, all right, let's get on to the next thing. Well, and you <laughs> can even tell by his interviews with Ramsland. It's, it's like his, his delivery is so different from Bundy that there isn't that narcissism that's mm-hmm. there. Um, and there's not going to be a lot of emotion. No. And he's not going to be trying to like yank everybody around with the emotion. He's just going to sort of look at it in a, in a research standpoint, like a black and white thing. That's right. Like, oh, all right. So this, so what's happening next? You know, like it's, it's so his interviews just are like, like he that. would see killing, just like he would see anything. It's That's just right. Business. It's just business. His, his interviews are like that. If anybody's interested in going online and watching his interviews, his testimony, his face in court, his, um, information to his family afterward, just very matter of fact. Yeah. So makes sense. So he confesses according to his daughter, he felt more relief. He ultimately confessed to all 10 murders and is currently serving out a 175 year sentence at El Dorado correctional facility in Kansas. So his defense attorney, Steve Osborne convinced him to plead guilty because there was so much evidence against evidence against him, including his own confession and DNA evidence. So it was like, okay, this, you know, he's like, well, well, here we are. I guess I'm going to prison for the rest of my life. 
So when asked about why he killed, Rader admitted it was to fulfill his sexual fantasies. And at his trial, he said, if one didn't work out, I just moved on to another one. And this is everything you were just saying, Shannon, where it's like, okay, just down to, down to business. That right. didn't work. Move on to the next yep. one. Where Bundy or Dahmer, there'd be a, a real emotional reaction to something if it didn't work. Well, that's that what we used to call access too. Yes. That's that, uh, that drive for the relational drama. Absolutely. There was, that's a really good way of distinguishing that. There was no relational drama here. So Carrie Rawson, there's an article from the Wichita Eagle from December 8th, 2022. And it was called, could you ever forgive a serial killer? What if he was your father by Roy Wenzel? So on February 25th, 2005, a man knocked on Rawson's door around noon. She almost didn't answer. Uh, he was holding an FBI badge and her father, who was uh, a code compliance officer, had always taught her to be weary of strangers, which is the irony, right? <laughs> yeah. So against her instincts, she allowed him into her kitchen, despite the fact that he had been sitting outside of her house for about an hour. So he was in his 50s. The agent was in his 50s. So similar to her father. And he appeared very nervous. She was around 26 years old at the time. Um, it was early in the morning. She was still in her pajamas. She, or it was around noon, sorry. She was still in her pajamas. She had the day off. Uh, she was a substitute teacher at the time. And the agent had informed her that her father was the BTK killer and recently arrested. And he needed to swab her cheek for DNA. Mm. So Rawson was asked whether she had ever heard of the BTK and what it stood for. Uh, and she stated that she did. And it stood for bind, torture, kill. And that he was a serial killer her mother had feared decades ago. Wow. Isn't that creepy? Yes. So while this was all occurring, the cops were arresting Dennis Rader in Wichita, Kansas, on his way home for uh, lunch where his wife would be waiting. Paula, his wife, initially defended Dennis at the police station while other family and friends would be pulled in for questioning. Rawson was yelling while, so while this, this is all kind of, you can kind of imagine his arrest is going on. They're bringing family and friends into question. Rawson, I think is in Michigan. She's in another state. She's getting questioned by this FBI agent. She st she's yelling at the FBI agent because she could not believe it. Again, here's that, here's that confliction because she had seen that picture, that composite that looked just like him and believed it. And now she's being told it is him and she's so flipping confused. So she remembers the last time she saw him and how he looked really sad. And she said that he had actually just called her the evening before to see whether she had checked the oil in her car. Yeah. So confusing. Cause she, he was, she was really close to her dad. Yeah. So over the next few days, Rawson would go through moments of defending her father and moments where she doubted him, which is, completely normal. Mm -hmm. She told the agent um, about a woman by the name of Maxine Hedge, who was petite with a Southern accent and lived several houses down when Carrie was six. So Hedge's body was found in a ditch and she remembers her father explicitly stating, don't worry, we're safe. So all of these uh. flashbulb memories, all of these parts are starting to make sense. Well, and some of you might be wondering like, really? Like, I don't get it. Like he's a psychopath, but as we know, psychopaths often have people in their life that they're very mm -hmm. protective of. That's right. That they care about, that they want to protect and make okay. And 
his family was that for him. 100%. Specifically his daughter, of course. And and honestly, you know, if we look at him, he was not a disorganized serial killer. His murders took place strictly to satiate his sexual sadism. So he had no desire to murder his wife. He had no desire right. to, to abuse his children. That was not the type of... It wasn't, I want to kill everyone. No, that was not the type of psychopath he was. Yeah. All, if you go back Dahmer and listen... would have done that. Totally. <laughs> If he would have eaten his family. Yeah. And murdered, had sex with them, eaten them. Right. Yeah. So if you go back and listen to the first couple episodes, uh, briefly, not briefly, I actually go into a lot of detail about what led to all that sexual sadism. Right. So, so Carrie remember, so he wasn't lying when he said we're safe because he no, wasn't right. going to do anything. He knew. <laughs> yeah. So Carrie remembered that when Hedge disappeared, her dad wasn't home. So she, now she's starting to remember that day. Yeah. The reflection. Mm-hmm. She said it was stormy and I didn't want to sleep by myself. Uh, my mom let me in her bed and that's how I know he was gone. Mike Clark, the family's pastor, visited Dennis Rader in jail a week before his arrest. And Clark called Paula afterward um, and Carrie watched her mother take the call. With a yellow legal pad in her hand, Paula wrote, he's confessing and underlined it as they talked. I've read this a couple of times now, and I don't know why this particular confession, the way that they describe this taking place is really effective, because I would imagine that she was on her on the phone with her husband trying to understand what had happened, and he going back and forth with her on the phone, and maybe at first trying to, um, I don't know, de- uh, like deviate away from it or whatever and then eventually she got him to say it and then for Carrie to read yeah he's confessed I don't know there's something there's something that just hits me in the gut when I think about what that moment felt like for her maybe oh maybe yeah Yeah. he's confessing meaning he's on the phone now just telling her everything and what that must have been like for Paula I can't even imagine so the, the family clearly dreaded the trial because his crimes were going to be described. Yeah. They had to go through 10 victims and talk about every single, well, really confronting the reality of who he, who he was, this other person he yeah. was that they don't really know that they don't know. And, and not only you have to think too, the Otero family is listed as one victim, but that was like five people and they had to go through yeah. every detail of that. Yeah, of course. He pleaded guilty to spare his family, which is, again, we talk about that empathy, right? Yeah. Where it's like, how interesting is that? Um, Carrie felt relieved until the plea hearing. Her dad told a TV audience at length how he had killed people, uh, lingering over how he'd murdered the Otero kids. And he seemed to enjoy the story. Yeah. I've watched his... He would. Yeah. I've watched his interviews before, and he he's, he's talking like I'm talking to you now. Mm-hmm. He even brought up Carrie. He said, uh, Joseph Otero had a daughter. I had a daughter. Just, mm-hmm. oh, it's just so gross. Yeah. So Carrie's life was uh, completely interrogated. She found out during the investigation that they had once used DNA from her pap smear to see if he had matched, um, if she had matched her father's, which was the real reason the agent was swapping her cheek, swabbing her cheek that day. Yeah, that was obvious to us because mm-hmm. <laughs> we see it on every crime show. Ever. Yeah. But how intrusive yeah. to know that she went to the doctor and that's where that information went, right? Yeah, so swabbing her cheek that day to make sure the pap smear was actually hers so they could conclude that evidence. Um, Her childhood dog was actually dug up to see whether Raider had buried anything with the dog, and he had not. 
So nothing in her life was left sacred. You know, everything from her gynecological exam to her childhood dog to her memories of him. I cannot imagine the trauma. Yeah, I can't either. I mean, your whole world is just torn apart emotionally. Everything you thought you knew. It's just like any, honestly, any abusive relationship where you've been gaslit your whole life. I mean, that's what it is. She was realized that she'd been gaslit her whole life. And I imagine in that moment and over the course of maybe a chunk of that time, I obviously don't know her, but I can only imagine that at first you say the thing that most people say when they feel betrayed is I I didn't know him at all. Or I like, this is a person I don't know this Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And what you find, what you end up realizing is that we all have facets. You just didn't know that facet of him, obviously. But other things are still true. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming, I mean, again, I'm making this leap, but like the other feelings he had for you, for his family, the things he said to you, like it's not all a lie. In other words, like when we're in those situations, we always want to make it black and white. Like the whole thing's a lie. Every time you said you love me, it wasn't true kind of thing, but it was true. (laughs) And, And it's, and it's coming. And then the slow healing of coming to grips with the fact that it was all true there was just this huge part of him that you had no knowledge of and you never, ever, ever thought he would be capable of anything like that. Absolutely. Which is so traumatic. I can't even imagine even having to, how do you even begin to wrap your head around that? I feel like I'd, she probably felt like she was going crazy. Yeah. I mean, part of it is actually attending those trials, reading those transcripts, looking at the reality of it. You actually just have to face that reality. That's sort of what she says. So, you know, she struggles for years trying to determine whether forgiveness was even in her. And so she would write letters to him in prison to see if she could make sense of what her father had done, right? Everything we're saying. And to try to understand his sadism. Like, is there a part of me that can maybe understand how he got here? It's about narrative. She wanted wanted to, you know, as we do, remember her memories so that she could re literally remember them, re change them and change the DNA of it and put it, make it make sense. That's right. Put it all together yeah. and then create her own new narrative around who her father was. Yeah. I imagine that process was pretty painstaking. I imagine too. Yeah. Her therapist who she was working with at the time, reasonably appropriately diagnosed her with PTSD because she'd grown to separate the man who raised her and the man who was the BTK. And through that process, she was able to make some closure. Makes sense. So it wasn't the end to her struggles, though. In September 2013, Stephen King said in a TV interview that he'd written a story inspired by the Raider family called A Good Marriage about discovering a monster in the house. And Carrie was furious. Um, She gave her own interview lashing out at King among people giving her uh, rave reviews for that interview was her father. So he continued to uh, just, it almost feels antagonistic, although I don't, I don't even know if he, because he's such a psychopath, if he realizes that's what he's doing. Yeah. Okay. Thanks dad for your support. The only reason why you don't want it to happen is because of your agenda, not because of how much it hurts my feelings. That's right. (laughs) And that's my daughter. That's part of me. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. You're not. Yeah. mm. Yeah. So he goes on to say, (laughs) well, and then he goes on to say, she reminds me of me. Oh, good. Raider wrote to the Wichita Eagle, independence, fearless, uses the media. I was touched by it. People reading. I can't with you, Dennis. People reading will see we had a good family. 
Nothing to hide, only me with my dark secrets. Like she said, I was a good dad, but only did bad things. So he just really wants them to be unscathed. Yeah. His and behavior. Oh, my God. As if, as if it's just me. I'm a bad guy and I'm in prison now. So, you know, carry on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, using her to clear his name. OK. <laughs> um, I'm not a bad guy. I just did these really bad things. I couldn't help it. Things well, happen as a kid. Humanity. Right. right. He lacks an understanding of humanity. So he doesn't know how he's he he doesn't he doesn't know how wrong that all is he doesn't even, right he just thinks like no this is what it is yeah it's no big deal yeah. so in recent years she's carrie's become an advocate for victims and has written um, books including a serial killer's daughter my story of faith love and overcoming which is on amazon you can find it um i think okay. barnes and noble too so paula diets is raider's wife and there's an article called um, and document it's a short I think on YouTube called the disturbing story of Paula diets and uh, they were married for 34 years so imagine married 34 years before finding out your husband was a sadistic serial killer Mm-mm. that's a you know yeah quite uh, that's a lifetime for some people yeah. she fell in love with him in 1970 and married him within months after meeting him at church despite a roster of clues left in her wake. She did not come to know or admit to Raider's murders until he was exposed. Some of this I think had to do with the way that she grew up Mm -hmm. in a very conservative. I mean, some people would call it naive. I think she just never knew that people could be this right. And then meeting him at church. Yeah. So six weeks after the birth of their first child to give some timeline here, that's when Raider would commit his first murders by killing the Otero family. Mm. She has a newborn baby. She has no idea that he's going out and doing this. In 2005, Diets was completely blindsided and could not believe he was guilty until he confessed. And from that moment, she cut off all contact with him. Never visited him in prison and never went to any of his hearings. So she filed for an emergency divorce, citing emotional distress. And was granted immediately. Granted immediately. By the court. Yep. They were they granted it without the normal never sixty better, day waiting period. Never a better reason ever. Yep. And less than a month later, Raider was sentenced to ten life sentences. And her whole life yeah. was gone. Her whole life was gone. So she sold the home and escaped the public eye. People really don't they, oh, yeah. they suspect maybe she's somewhere in uh, Kansas. But she lost a lot. You don't, you're not only losing this, this fiction that you feel like you were living. Right. But like, you got to disappear. Yeah. It's like witness protection practically. Absolutely. Like your friends, your family, the, you know, the Bunko group you went to, whatever the hell, right? Like the things you were doing, you have to lose all of that it's it's terrible your community yeah your habits and rituals every day the stores you go to i mean there's so much about that that's so yeah. traumatic and stressful and so much loss for both of them but. for sure and i wonder too you know if something like that happens to you you probably start to question everyone in your life oh Who my can gosh I trust? you never trust again you never Mm-mm. well you would but you yeah. heal but for a period of time just like with Carrie, it's like for a period of time, you you would you would question everyone in your life, and if you made a, the right decision, you're questioning yourself, yeah. and then so you're externalizing that and questioning everyone around you because you don't trust yourself. That's right. I, I certainly. 
terrifying. That's really terrifying. And Rawson would describe the PTSD her mother had experienced since finding out about her husband. And she has been criticized for being a naive Christian woman, of course, because the public has to be like, well, we would have known her husband was the BTK killer. Yeah, right. Um, she you was, don't know how sophisticated psychopaths are. No, I mean. Like everybody underestimates them. Like they're so smart, they'd figure it out. It's like. Fucking psychologists wouldn't even figure it out if they were living with them. Most likely, they're really sophisticated ones that you just wouldn't know. Well, and if you go into some of their earlier episodes where I talk about how he even would stop his killing uh, on at times where he thought that if you know he was ill and yeah, he it, could it, always hunker down. Oh my god, he'd go hide. He, no he would problem. dig his stuff up and go hide it outside of the house, so it was never if something happened to him. They would never be able to put that together. I mean, he he did everything in his power to keep that part of his life separate. Yep. He wasn't, he never sadistically, he was never a, a sadistic towards his family, not ever sexually to his wife. He tried once to have like, I don't know. Like kinky something. Yeah. And she didn't like it. He never did it again. Yeah. So there, what, there were no clues. Mm-mm. I mean, as far as. Yeah. Yeah. For them. For them. So she was criticized and she, she was raised in a religious household by devout parents. Her father was an engineer. Her mother was a librarian. She didn't, she didn't know what the hell she was getting into. No. So Catherine Ramsland, who I've spoken about a million times through this whole thing, she has developed a relationship with Raider and that's how her book came out. She's done a number of interviews with him. She's communicated with him through letters and she explained that the pair developed a coding system, which would mean anyone reading their letters would, would not know how to decode them. And she said that Raider liked to imagine himself being a spy. And this kind of uh, gave him the sense that we were doing spy kinds of things, which helped him to become more forthcoming. <laughs> so she used that against him and it worked. I mean, you have to manipulate psychopaths. Absolutely. That's all they know how to do. Yep. Um, so she went on to explain that he's an outlier when it comes to the stereotypes of serial killing, adding he was a family man, so he was not a loner. He had a serious full-time job and he, you know, he wasn't just going to, to work. Like he, this was someone who actually, he could hold a job. Mm-hmm. He could parent his kids. Mm-hmm. He held a marriage. He had friends. He was involved in his community. That is really the antithesis of what we at you know see with most serial killers. Right. Very different. Very different. So Raider goes on to confess in his letters that he was also enjoying another book called The Fear Index, which is filled with murder. Other writings from BTK uh, paint a peculiar lifestyle in which he says he sleeps on the floor, uses his bed as a desk, and bird watches. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's probably not a lot to do. His daughter, Carrie, told the Detroit News that in a letter from that same year, he told her he might have had a stroke in 2018. And this reportedly left him with short-term memory loss and dementia. He'll never be able to read his daughter's book because he's not allowed to read any true crime literature in prison. Um, So lastly, Michael Seidlinger, I think is how you pronounce it, wrote an article called What Prison Life is Like for Well-Known Killers... When will when well known killers go behind bars? Says after years in solitary confinement, mostly due to the nature of his crimes, inmates have it in for other inmates known for definitively heinous crimes. He has been offered the ability to watch television, listen to the radio from the comfort of his own cell, and has become a bit of a prison pet and is taken care of well. 
So the perks have not gone unnoticed. Kevin O'Connor, deputy attorney, has gone on record to express his concern with special treatment. We're having a hard time understanding why somebody like this is allowed to earn privileges when all the evidence was presented as to how he can turn what most people would consider to be innocent into something that is evil. For the same reason that Catherine Ramblin is, has a relationship with him now, there's a fascination. The same reason we're talking about him right now. Right. There's a fascination. And so people are going to, whether you're famous or infamous, people are going to be attracted to you and trying to understand you yep. and, and want and being near you will as a prison person would be seen as a privilege That's and right. being that close to darkness to psychopathy is going to be fascinating for anybody in the criminal justice system and somebody working in a prison has that interest, mm-hmm. you know, and, and our, Culture is completely fascinated with the shadow. That's why we talk about true crime. That's why we were ultimately interested in it as kids and young adults and got into this. And here we are. Um, and, and you're, you listening to us. It's, that's the reason it's it's fascinating. You get close enough to it. Yeah. Because it helps us work our own shadow out. Yeah. It's all about yourself. Yeah. You're listening to us. You're reading the true crime books. You're writing true crime books. You're watching documentaries, all that stuff. It's about you working out your own shit. All of it. And this is my opinion, but yeah, that's what I think. Wow. That was a ride. Big sigh from both of us. (laughs) He, I had been interested in him for a long time and I had known enough about him, but I'm, you felt like you learned some stuff too. Yeah. I felt like, uh, I felt like, that was that deep dive I've wanted to do with him and understanding him more mm-hmm. because he was so different. Yeah. Um, I, I actually really enjoyed her book and I really enjoyed just, I know it sounds weird cause we're talking about enjoying this story, but just enjoying, I guess the process of getting into his mind and his experience yeah, a little bit more. We like to learn psychology. That's yeah. obviously our profession and something that we got into and, and then explicating it and talking about it too is obviously the next step that we take in broadcasting this stuff because that's also part of us learning. Sure. Is to, because as we know, to to narrate or to teach or to research or to talk about these things is just a way for us to learn deeper, deeper process. So that's cool. I'm glad you finally got to do it. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. I hope you will join us on Fridays for our horror show. This, uh, this Friday, I believe we're doing plant-based horror. <laughs> the fear of flora. Yeah. So we go in different directions on Friday. It's a lighter show. Uh, but also, I hope you join us for the next couple of weeks. I'll do another couple episodes on Jim Jones. So we'll just go further into that. And uh, thank you so much for listening. We hope you have a great day. This has been an episode of Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone.